welcome to That Tech Pod, where we discuss all things e-discovery, data privacy, cybersecurity, and tech innovations. I'm Laura Milstein, and I know, you know, a little bit about technology. And I'm Gabby Schulte, and I know even less than Laura. (laughs) That is not good. So that's why each week we're talking to heavy hitters in the industry to help us break down these topics. And today, Gabby, who are we talking to? Today, our focus is on the new AI regulation in Europe, and we have the perfect guest for just that, Mary Beth Banaszek. Mary Beth is an attorney and former U.S. litigator, solicitor of England and Wales, and is currently living in Germany working as a partner of EY's Forensic and Integrity Services. Additionally, she holds the role as Global Forensics Privacy Leader and EMEA Forensics Technology Leader for Legal and Investigations. Mary Beth, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, ladies. Mary Beth, we're really excited to have you on today. And before we dive into AI and the the new regulation in Europe, can you tell us more about yourself? Because you have an interesting background. You know, you're a lawyer. You're also in the tech space. You have the whole global forensic privacy leader aspect. And and I'm just so curious about, you know, who are you? How'd you get into this space? What are you, are you going to stay in this space? And, um, you know, just, just more about yourself. I know I'm so lucky to have the job that I have. I mean, it's a, it's a perfect balance between like the nerdiness, um, the one side of my personality, like on the legal side, but also the really entrepreneurial side that EY lets me be. Um, in thinking of new solutions in the market. Um, Always, no matter if it was at a law firm that I worked at or as in-house counsel, when I first moved to Germany, I was always mesmerized by e-discovery. So somehow this idea that even the lowest ranking intern Um, reviewing e-discovery documents that that person could still find like the magic bullet, like find that email, like somehow that really intrigues me, like that there's no hierarchy in finding evidence. And the tech side is just also really cool with all the machine learning that's now come up and machine translation, automatic PII redactions, like it's, it's always changing enough to keep me, keep me curious. No, that's such an interesting point, because I think, you know, um, when we think about, um, you know, kind of everything in terms of industries, in terms of our jobs, we never think of, you know, there there is that sort of internal built in hierarchy that we think of. But that is so there's something so accessible about e-discovery where, like, as you said, uh, you know, an intern can find something interesting or important. And uh, in in that way, I think, yeah, it has like an accessibility that, um, you know, other other industries and fields don't really actually have. And it's also um, consistent enough, the process is consistent enough where there's some like stability in it, but there's still enough new things coming out that you, uh, there's still enough to like challenge us. I like, yeah. I mean, living in Germany has, has been a quite interesting experience. I went from Dallas, Texas with how many people are in, are in, in Dallas, Texas, Fort Worth area to a little city um, in in Germany. This is a pretty big shock. 
um, new languages, right? I mean, in the U.S., we're not really so good about learning languages properly here. You know, people are speaking two, three languages. So this is a little bit intimidating. If you're going to like move and like lift your whole career um, out from a country, as Laura, you know, from your background, um, I think you have to be a really strong character. And certainly there's enough that, that it gives back to you where you learn who you are. Um, I think in the beginning years, you're always like comparing how it was at home to the new place. And at some point you let go of that. And that's when you really like find yourself, you know, and you see like what matters to you. And so this has been cool to also see how I've changed and what was important to me and um, political stances that, that changed over the years, uh, maybe because I'm located here and things that have become important and um, hopefully I keep challenging myself to, to, to be curious in that regard with, with it comes to technology or worldviews or things like this. Let's see okay. where that, that life was so heads me. poetic <laughs> after like during it, I was just like, someone write this down. Cause this is, if you, depending how you, how you say it, it's, it's very, uh, poetic. That's, that's the right word. Um, with that being said, can you tell everyone in Germany in German, uh, and anywhere that they are, but in German, can you tell everyone to listen to that tech pod? Just, you know, we, we'd love, we'd love that. Uh, that's right. That's right. I will spread the news. That's what we want to hear. Um, but yeah, I, I want to dive into this because you do have such an interesting background. As you mentioned, just, I mean, it, it is so different um, going to a completely different country. And it's even when you mentioned me, I'm like, I went to American speaking places um, because I, I just, uh, I couldn't American. do American speaking places. I just want to, I just want to call you out English, on that. English speaking. Oh my God. Thank you for calling me out. You know, either way, either way, I went from America to English speaking. Thank you for that. Um, and it's true. It's, do you hear my ignorance? I wouldn't fit in at these other countries because I couldn't do it. And I think that's so impressive and something to be noted. And it's not just having to learn an entirely different culture, but in the field that you're in, Germany is a place where when it comes to privacy, it is it is so intense and it is very different. Can you tell us a little bit about that aspect of it? I think it is. And I think the, um, the European community would also start by saying that privacy for them is nothing new. Um, but certainly GDPR was a game changer. Um, they're also very critical of themselves here. So um, while I think they can observe that in the rest of the world, the GDPR has become the standard, whether it be in the CCPA or evidence of, of similarity in the new Chinese statute that just came out, I think earlier this week or was it last week already? Um, you will see a lot of similarities to the GDPR. And I think instead of being excited and proud and overly joyed about that, there's still a lot of criticism um, about are they enforcing it the correct way and very critical of, of their success. Um, but in the same way that this um, um, for being a forefront at, of, the, of the privacy world, this is also what we see with the AI legislation. And yes, there's certainly like uh, hours of conversations that we could have, you know, criticizing the GDPR, even criticizing this new regulation, draft regulation. But at the end of the day, or even as a starting point, it, it's better that we 
start this journey um, than to leave maybe it at the Wild West that sometimes it feels like it is. Um, and so this is why I'm, I'm happy to talk about this topic. It's pretty new, um, but I think as time goes on, we will continue to hear about it. And let's see if, like the GDPR, the ideals and some of the concepts that are in this legislation also extend into the international community and into other countries' legislation. Yeah, so let's dig into this new um, uh, AI legislation. Can you just break down for us? I mean, assuming that people listening to this are familiar, but just in case that no one is, aka not not me or Laura, but anyone who might not be familiar, uh, could you just break it down for us exactly? You know what yeah. what is this that we're talking about? Yeah. So I think the starting point to understand it is that this is a part of a wider European strategy around data. And if you think about the politics of data, right? So you have in the U.S., you've got the big companies there, very strong technological American base. And you've got new things coming out on different sides of the world with 5G. And and you see this like maybe battle for data. And so I think you should put this regulation into the bucket of a wider European strategy for data. And so there will be more and more legislation coming out, this being um, one of them. There was a, a white paper that came out from the European Commission back in February of 2020. Um, with some some basic concepts and like what they wanted to achieve, um, and then only recently did did this um, did the did the draft language come out. It came out actually in April twenty first of twenty twenty one. So more than a year later, from February to April, and I was just reading before uh, we dialed in to talk today. Um, there was over 300 responses to the to the um, European Commission to um, analyzing what they liked and didn't like and what they thought should be changed. 302, I think it was. And this is interesting because in Europe, uh, we actually go on summer vacation uh, for weeks at a time. And so for Europeans to have read this artificial intelligence language and to have taken time on their on their summer vacation to respond, um, this is this makes me laugh. It's quite funny. I mean, I think everyone wants to do that on their vacation. I, <laughs> <laughs> if you're if you're a big enough nerd. Yeah. 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 yeah it's the dream. So um, one of the reasons we really wanted to bring you on the podcast today, not just on this topic, is because um, we really like to bring people on that can give a an opinion that isn't biased, that is just factual and real. And we we love you. We're big fans of yours. And so we keep our podcast very, you know, honest, very raw, non-biased. And, and one of the things behind that is because it's really hard to know who do you trust, who do you go to, where do you find information? And I think, you know, for this, that's sort of my question to you is, who do you trust when it comes to any of this, even going to, to the healthcare factor or other, other areas within that? Right. This 
is one of those basic tenants that you will see throughout this legislation and as like one of the foundational, let's say buzzwords. Um, so trust in, in artificial intelligence. And it's right. I mean, how many times have I asked myself like, who do you trust with health information? Who do you trust to advise you on uh, health topics? How do you, who do you trust also with news, right? And so this, I think, is the interesting part, this like aspect or ideal that we should challenge ourselves to make sure we can trust AI, and um, I mean, also in the e-discovery community, you guys have probably also experienced this. Um, you know, are we really good enough yet to know what AI is? Do you think that um, our clients understand like the difference between workflows and machine learning and artificial intelligence? And do they ask for the right things? There's probably some aspect there that we could challenge ourselves to use more precise words when we're talking about these topics. Um, but the goal of this um, legislation is to get to a point where we can trust the algorithms more, trust the data more. If you think about, I mean, all algorithms are created based on data and usually the data relates to human data points, right? So this is where like my privacy uh, curiosity comes in. Um, and so there isn't necessarily an answer to how this regulation interacts with or meshes with the GDPR. This is still, there's a lot of questions. That's one of the bigger ones. Uh, but it's at least a start, right? And I think it's a worthy a worthy cause. And so I'm happy to hear that so many people are, are commenting and, and hopefully we get this one right. Yeah, and and another thing about the legislation that I kind of wanted to get your your um, expertise on is, you know, um, they want it to be, or it's it's one of its goals is to be also innovation friendly and future um, future technology and friendly. So, can you kind of expand on? I guess you know, if you want to maybe just break down. Uh, the definition of AI, but also how would this help innovation in general? Yeah. You know, we saw when the, when the GDPR came out, there was some balance that needed to be found between being helpful and being <laughs> burdensome. Uh, and I think we will also struggle with those lines uh, with this regulation, right? So it needs to... Um, in an ideal space, not interfere with um, knowledge sharing, knowledge creation, scientific research, um, our understanding of, of data. Um, and I'm thinking here like more broadly, usually when there's like a new topic, you can observe things about it. And now with additional data points Coming, for example, on you know IoT, um, we're getting more and more data points, and we need to figure out as we get more pieces of evidence, um, what do we do with that? And so this balance between um, knowledge creation and 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 bringing benefits to society, we have to still find that balance between how to regulate it and make sure things are safe, 
right? And this is uh, maybe a good point to start about the definition of, of AI, um, because this, of course, needs to be defined in the legislation and has already received some criticism about whether or not the definition is too wide. Um, and that's probably right, because if you think about the way that you interact with AI, um, there are ways um, there are different ways that you interact with it. So there are ways, um, for example, maybe with the chat bot, you interact differently than if we're using predictive coding. Um, and so some of it is, is leading to automated decision-making, and some of it is leading to semi-automatic decision-making. And so there will probably be lots of discussions around what is AI uh, and what do you do when humans are contributing certain pieces versus when um, an algorithm makes its own decision uh, without any sort of assistance from humans? So, Mary Beth, I want to jump in on that because I think in, in the tech community, people love to just use rhetoric to, to skew things or to make it their own. So you hear a lot of like, we are disrupting technology. And I hate it. I hate it. Because I'm just like, what does that mean? And, and you're just saying this in Europe. We're making a change. I don't want technology to be disrupted. I want it to be growing. I want it to be changing in a positive way where we're expanding on it. I don't want to disrupt it. I hate when people are all in on AI and our whole thing is built on AI. What does that mean? And, and there are so many different components to what's the difference with AI, machine learning, deep learning, emotional intelligence. And there's so many different words that it's almost what's the next buzzword and let's just throw that in all our marketing. Um, and again, being a non-biased platform, I want to push back on that. I want to I want to ask more more about that. So can you know you have even the investigation part of your background? You can really dive into that more. So can you help us to to really say to all the people out there that are claiming all of these things, what does that mean? <laughs> I mean, I think certainly as a lawyer, um, your art is supposed to be your words. And what adjectives you use to describe your services, I think, is certainly important. I think it's one thing whenever you're using words, um, speaking to a client, for example, to describe capabilities. And we all know that if you use the wrong words, uh, exaggerating capabilities, this will probably come back to bite you in the delivery phase. Um, and so I find that most of the time clients are able to sift between market puffery and realistic descriptions, um, especially if you're dealing with some of the larger global clients where they are starting to even have internal resources sometimes even a part of the legal and compliance teams who also have these capabilities. Um, you know, back in the day, it might've been that a legal team was just filled with lawyers or a compliance team was filled with compliance professionals. But these days you have legal tech in the in-house teams, you've got project managers, you've got lawyers in there. Um, and a lot of the companies are really investing in technology because of some of the um, the benefits that it can bring. 
And when you get into areas like um, life sciences, where there are good things to be achieved by incorporating artificial intelligence, if it's like um, access to doctors and access to, to, to literature, this might um, really, really help with progress in the space. But, and I think this is also what you're saying, sometimes progress is not good. And this is where we need to balance um, progress in areas. Maybe an example would be how police departments are allowed to use predictive um, capabilities whenever they uh, are deciding to make an arrest. Um, And this is interesting because also in this legislation, there are some things that are described as unacceptable risk and, and an example of this would be social scoring. Um, every time when I read this, I always think about that one episode in Black Mirror. Um, I don't know if you saw that, that yes. episode where they have like the like button and everybody can see each other's likes. And then you start making decisions on that other person's likes. Um, this is my biggest fear. I've said this a million times. I'm <laughs> afraid and it's here and it's happening and it's just creeping around the corner before they're like, sorry, you can't travel. Your score isn't high enough. Right. I mean, so it's good to read that things like, and it's just like the GDPR, they, the GDPR also started, you know, in the introductory aspects of it with a strong statement of what's not allowed, you know, and they start off by saying like, everything is prohibited except these six things. And so you also see a little bit of that in this legislation as well, because they, they start very um, straightforward by labeling things already as unaccept, unacceptable risk. They, um, they put, they try to categorize AI into four different buckets. And so this is, you know, if you will be a consultant or, or a lawyer going out to clients to, to actually implement this, um, you will probably be assisting clients holding their hand and finding where they have AI within their company and then helping them to determine if it's unacceptable risk, high risk, limited risk, or minimal risk. And most of the things will fall within minimal risk. They even write in the actual um, commentary. Um, And this is a space where they don't want to get involved. But if you get into the high risk uh, pieces of artificial intelligence, um, this might be around education or safety. Um, It might be around uh, employment scenarios or public services, law enforcement. When you get into this area, then they're going to expect um, stricter controls. They're going to be more interested in what is your risk assessment? What is what mitigating factors do you have here? Do you have bias in the algorithms? Um, where's the traceability of these results? Um, what documentation do you have about this? Is it clear enough? Is it adequate enough? Um, is there appropriate human oversight? And this is, I, I think I can confidently say more than what um, exists currently. And so I I generally support these four categories and putting more emphasis on labeling what is high risk, identifying what it is and putting more structure around it and leaving alone things that have minimal risk. Um, But I guess this will also be hotly debated. 
Yeah, no, I I do think that this that that particular part of it, the social scoring is a very hot topic right now, because as we've you know, we've discussed on the show before as well, um, you know, we see versions of it happening already. You know, China has something similar. Um, there's honestly, and, and, you know, we don't like to get political on the podcast, but, you know, there's, there's some sort of, um, question on whether that's coming to the U S in the form of not necessarily through the federal government, but maybe through private companies. And we're also like, that's kind of happening in the sense of like, to the extreme of cancel culture. So, you know, um, it, when it affects people's monetary um, abilities. Be careful. I don't want us what? to be canceled already. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just saying, um, I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying it's, it is happening because, um, you know, like, for example, I think the, I think like PayPal was denying uh, money transfers for people who were uh, involved with the Capitol riot um, and and just things like that that we're seeing sort of um, you know permeate like even on on the low end of maybe getting fired for for you know uh, saying something and then on that and the other end of the spectrum with with PayPal or even I think GoFundMe was doing something kind of similar and I just wanted to add that Black Mirror episode is called Nosedive and it was it was such a good episode. <laughs> um, I but, love all those episodes, yeah, yeah. Um, but just to kind of expand on that or or you know moving forward is. Yeah. Um, you know, it's so interesting that that the bill actually recognized that as an unacceptable risk. So it's a little encouraging. Do you think do you think of, uh, you know, do you think of it like that? You know, what I think about is on a more practical level. I remember, um, you know, emails that my grandmother would receive and she wouldn't know if it was really from that person or emails that now my mom receives where she will call me and it's like, oh my God, like look in the email, it's like phishing. And I I think that these kinds of behaviors like coming from the forensics angle where we're used to looking at like fraud, anti-bribery, anti-corruption, I guess um, this will always get more sophisticated. And so I think that having some, um, some structure around how AI is used, where people try to manipulate human behavior um, or to circumvent someone's free will or try to persuade them or influence um, things. Uh, Or as we continue to have like more gadgets in the house that you can talk to. Um, And this is what makes me a bit nervous, but also happy to have something like this coming into place, um, at least in the EU. And there is like a a third party aspect, a third country aspect like the GDPR. But this is what makes me feel like even if there's a lot of things that I could criticize and that will be criticized, nevertheless, it's good to just get started and have something. And so I'm happy that, um, that Europe is being like a forerunner in this case as well. Yeah. And so last question for you, Mary Beth, is um, where do you see this this legislation headed? Um, I know you we've kind of touched kind of touched on that already. You know, you think it's a good starting point. Um, but also 
in general, where do you think, um, you know, what's next for, yeah. for the privacy space? Yeah. So I think there's going to be a lot of debate about it. I think there will be debate around um, the definition of AI that's used here. I think it can also be expected that this territorial scope um, will be debated. I mean, do you remember the the days when like uh, people were trying to figure out like, oh, does the GDPR apply to me? Um, this, I think, will be also hotly debated. So when is a third country like subject to the regulation? Um, and I think there will be a lot of criticism on rounds how to enforce it, having a regulator that actually can go and enforce it. Um, a lot of the problems that, uh, or a lot of the topics that were raised uh, as criticisms for the GDPR, I think this will be, this will be the same. And, and actually, how does it interact with the GDPR? There's at least one group that is advocating for the GDPR to Mod, to be modified to take into account this legislation. And so I think most of us privacy professionals uh, start thinking about pulling our hair out if you think about opening up the wording, wording of the GDPR again. But I think hotly contested topics. And then I hope um, roll out with a grace period and then maybe some other governments and corporations um, who agree with it, support it, and, and will help enforce it. Yep. No, I, I'm, I agree. And I'm, I think we're both kind of edge of our seats of trying to see what's going to happen. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. Uh, we will definitely have to bring you back on in a few months to analyze uh, how the regulation has been holding up and what's been going on from there. So we, uh, we want an update in a few months uh, for sure. But thank you so much for your time today. It's been a great conversation. My pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. Talk to you guys on the next one. So, Laura, we just talked to Mary Beth Benishik. Uh, tell me your tech takeaways. I think at every tech takeaway, I'm always saying how great the person is. Um, and I wish I could have one where I didn't feel that way, but she's great. Um, I think her knowledge is so impressive. I love that she's in Germany. I love that she speaks German, not even having that background, went there and was able to not only figure out the language and the culture, but figure out the, the technology. I mean, being a lawyer in the U.S. and doing tech in the U.S. is so different um, and it's very interesting to get her perspective on the new regulation when it comes to AI for, for Europe, because, you know, in the U.S., we don't really have these regulations yet. And even though we have GDPR sort of coming to like California, some privacy, it's very new over here. And having an American who's been living for 12 years outside of the U.S., it's great to kind of get that perspective. And I think she she tells a, a really good good story makes a, a lot of good points and it is interesting to see will it you know be as relevant as gdpr is yeah that's what i thought was so interesting about the new um ai legislation is that um like as she said there's definitely going to be debates about it like she said uh you know the definition of what ai is and sort of these like buckets that she was talking about but as maribeth 
put it so eloquently, it's a good starting point and it's a good uh, starting point to have a start the conversation, basically, because these things are really complicated. It's like and it's like we're at we're at this very interesting point in our like technological society where so many of these things are new and things like technology is just exponentially advancing. And so it's just, we're, we're having to really take it as they come and trying to, you know, think with a forward thinking mind into the future and, and with uh, innovation and everything. But basically what I'm trying to say is I think it's really interesting where we're at right now, especially the, the, the Europe, you know, Europe is way ahead of the U.S. right now. Um, but it's just so interesting that, that we're starting to really think about these things and how, you know, even like trusting AI. I would never think that AI is a thing to be trusted or not. It, to me, it just it and is. Knowing you know what I mean? What, just, what, yeah. Which component of that to trust? What AI right. should you be trusting? Because you have all of these vendors out there trying to sell you things. So how do you know which one is the good one to go with? What is real AI? And I think that's one of the things on our podcast that we really want to try to showcase more of are here are the technologies that we're looking into and asking those questions because we're not selling you technology. So we're not being biased on our opinions. We're just trying to learn along with you on what AI is is the one to trust and, and what AI really means. And I think Mary Beth really does help to dive into that further. Um, and it's going to be really interesting to see what what's to come next. So I'm excited for when we bring her back on in a few months and, and dive into that further. But until then, to not miss that episode in a few months or any of the future episodes coming out, don't forget to subscribe to us by going to our website, www.thattechpod.com. Scroll to the bottom and so sign up, send us your email and uh, be a part of the team so you don't miss any episodes. And don't forget to go over to our LinkedIn slash that tech pod uh, maybe twitter at that tech pod you'd think we would have the twitter down by now but good news for you we don't so if you want to teach us reach out and don't forget to email us at contact at that tech pod.com if you want to be on our show if you know someone who wants to be on our show if you are interested in our 2022 uh, sponsorship programs or just working with us at some point in the future we are happy to possibly consider it also, if you want an even better chance of working with us and us liking you uh, forever, uh, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this podcast and give us a five star rating or review. It just really helps the podcast algorithm. There you go. There's some AI for you. Um, you know, when people are searching for tech podcasts to listen to, it just helps us, you know, get get on the top of that list a little bit more um and we would be eternally eternally grateful mm -hmm.